1: and welcome to another episode of the family gamers podcast this is episode 332
0: yo what's going on everybody we are recording episode 332 a little bit early this week because a
1: we're going to tantrum con <laughs> yeah so when you hear this we will actually be home from tantrum con but we don't have time to record a podcast when we're doing all that so we're gonna be too busy having fun I maybe hope. with you <laughs> hopefully with you Yeah, we will
0: mention on either next week's show or the show after that, all the amazing people that we got to talk to at Tantrum It really depends on how the guest situation works out. We'll see. But anyway, this is not that. That is 333 and 334. This is 332. We must not, Anitra, get ahead of ourselves.
1: We should not get ahead of ourselves. This week, we are going to be talking about your board game related questions. That's right. You, listener, may have been one of the six or seven people who sent us questions this week and that's going to be the topic of our show Mm. from the millions
0: and millions of questions received
1: (laughs) from the ones and ones of (laughs) questions received the ones and
0: ones
1: (laughs) I couldn't even say tens and tens because we got about (laughs) seven or eight questions
0: anyway whatever we are more than happy to answer some questions from the family gamers community some of these came in in the community itself some of these came in in the community chat some of them came from other places where we shared the fact that we were soliciting questions some Mm -hmm. are funny some are serious it's gonna be a good time second half of the show but the first half of the show, we do a bunch of stuff, and the first thing we do is we talk about a fact for our episode number. Yes. So what is our fact for 332? All right. Well, this fact is, in fact, in honor of Black History Month. Anitra, you may have heard of the Tuskegee Airmen. I have, yes. So the Tuskegee Airmen were a group of primarily African-American military pilots, fighter and bomber pilots, and airmen who fought in World War II. They formed the 332nd Fighter Group, the fighters, and the 477th Bombardment Group of the United States Army Air Forces. The name also applies to the navigators, bombardiers, mechanics, instructors, crew chiefs, nurses, cooks, and other support personnel because they are all important. The Tuskegee Airmen received praise for their excellent combat record earned while protecting American bombers from enemy fighters. The group was awarded three distinguished unit citations. And honestly, the platitudes go on and on. These are just incredible Americans who served our country and did so even while enduring some racism, a lot of racism, and dealing with segregated communities and things like that. So (laughs) really, truly a miraculous group of incredible service people who served our country. So our fact this week, 332, is in honor of the Tuskegee Airmen.
1: And the 332nd Fighter Group. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Well, as usual, I have a message from our sponsor, First Move Financial.
0: In honor of our sponsor, First Move Financial.
1: <laughs> Did you know one hypothesis of financial counseling holds that everyone has their own money personality? What these personalities are hasn't been fully codified. But generally, experts agree that there are people who are most comfortable when they are saving money regularly, those who get enjoyment out of spending money, regardless of what is in their account, people who aren't comfortable with money at all and simply avoid thinking about it as much as possible, and others who are happiest giving their wealth away to loved ones without concern for their own financial goals. There are others, and like I said, they aren't even officially codified, and no one fits neatly in any single box. However, Understanding your core money values and those of your spouse can help you set a positive example for your children, because most experts agree that most of our money personalities are influenced significantly by our experience with money as children. If you want to talk to someone about your money history or your money personality, then 15 minutes will just scratch the surface, but First Move can give you some resources to point you in the right direction. Set up a time to talk with them at FirstMoveFinancial.com slash FamilyGamers today.
0: Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring another episode of the Family Gamers podcast. So, Anitra.
1: It's time to talk about what we've been playing. It
0: is time to talk about what we've been playing. And the good
1: news is that both you and I, in the last three days have managed to play more games (laughs) than
0: we played the week before than
1: either one of us played the week before
0: yeah we were very serious about (laughs) not being as pathetic as we were on the last show so do you want to get started this is first game is a game that you played but it is a game that i have played yes
1: all of these are games that both of us have played which is which Mm -hmm. is nice Mm -hmm. so i played some unmatched with our son asher This time I got to be the genie, and he decided to be Houdini. Mm, How'd that go? The genie is very powerful. Yes. Houdini is very slippery. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I did win in the end, but I honestly thought it was going to come down to making Houdini burn through all his cards and not have a deck left. In the end, it did not come down to that Asher's strategy started to break down before that point. But Houdini can hit really hard a couple of times. The Genie is not nearly as good at that. The Genie is more of a like poke poke, poke poke sort of character.
0: Well, the Genie seems like a poke poke character because of the contrast with Houdini. So Houdini has this ability that allows him to boost his attacks. And even some of his cards will allow him to boost an attack twice. Multiple times, yes. And that really hurts. If Houdini can get a couple of those off in a game, that's pretty much the game. But it's a rare combination to be able to do that while also being a slippery character. Like, I'm really interested in a game with Houdini and the Invisible Man, like how that's going to end up. You know what I mean?
1: Well, and in contrast, the genie, part of why he seemed like a pokey little character is because a lot of his abilities gear off of what the other player has. So most of Houdini's card values, the straight up values themselves are relatively low, and so it's all those extra abilities he can add that make it really powerful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when Houdini's like, aha, I'm going to attack you for the boost value of your defense card. They're like, okay, the boost value was one. Great. Yeah.
0: yeah. There's a couple other really interesting combinations I would be interested in exploring. I think that the genie against Yanenga would be pretty interesting. Mm. I think that Houdini against the monkey king would be pretty cool. I really... Really like all of the stuff that Unmatched offers. Mm Teen Spirit is now available, by the way, which is the set that we have been talking about forever. So excited. So, uh, we can't get that from our friendly local game store for a little while because Restoration usually has it exclusively for a month or two before it hits distribution. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll support Restoration directly. I haven't made that decision yet. We'll figure it out. I have no idea. But Unmatched, just in general, the ability to mix and match. I mean, honestly, like I'm considering getting a 3D printer primarily to replace all of those boxes with something a little bit more space efficient, (laughs) even though I love the boxes on all of the unmatched sets. I love all the art in general. Like I might, if we do something, I might still hang those boxes up as art (laughs) because they're awesome.
1: The art in the unmatched sets, um, it's not consistent Between sets necessarily, but within each set, the art seems very consistent, which I like. And there's unifying themes that work across all of them. Yeah,
0: yeah. and also, like, I do want to say the quality is consistent. The quality is consistently good. Yes, consistent.
1: So I really, really like the art for the genie. It's creepy in just the right way. (laughs) Like this is not your. Robin Williams, happy go lucky kind of genie. This is the Middle Eastern jinn. You yep, know, it barely controlled power. <laughs>
0: So good stuff. Really enjoy that game. Glad that you got another chance to play that. Next on the list is another game that you and I had played together that we really enjoyed and you wanted to play it again. And I was more than happy to oblige. And this was Wild Tales, A Pirate Legacy.
1: Yeah, so we played Chapter 4 together. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, we failed.
0: (laughs) We did. We did.
1: But that's okay.
0: I think that... Well, how do I say this? You are terrible at skill checks in this game, or at least in this one session. This
1: particular session, Holy I was cow. absolutely terrible Every at skill time. checks.
0: time. <laughs> it was like instant fail, instant fail. You need a two, you got a one. You need a three, you got a two. You need a one, you got a nothing.
1: <laughs> I needed one, I got an instant fail.
0: Oh my gosh, oh. it was so bad. Yeah. So bad. But I really do enjoy this game. I admit like, I had to ask you, okay, how does this all work again? Okay, good. But, you know, slotting into it was straightforward and easy enough, and I definitely don't mind playing more of it. It is kind of cool that you can go back and forth between cooperative when I'm around and solo when I'm not and still progress the plot. It's not like you have to run two kind of concurrent campaigns kind of thing. So that's pretty cool as well.
1: Well, because you're always playing with two characters, Mm -hmm. whether you're playing solo or you're playing two player, it's always two characters and the two characters take turns. It is what in the solo community gets called playing multi-handed. Sure. But I definitely enjoy playing it more with you than Uh I enjoy playing it by myself. Uh So I'm hoping we can do more of
0: that. Also, I didn't put it on the list, but I'm going to stick something in here. We went to a couple's dinner on Saturday. And as part of the couple's dinner, there was this kind of matching game where Uh, it it was pretty cool. There were 30. Picture matching game. Yeah, Yeah, there were 30 pictures of all these different things. And there were actually only 15 items, but it was 30 pictures, and so there was two pictures from very different perspectives, like top, bottom, far away, really, really, really close, different parts of the item, whatever. Different
1: parts was a common thing. Mostly, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And so all of the couples at this dinner had this set, and they had to work together, just you know, the two, to match them all. And at the end of that, the four couples with the best scores went on to be basically the team captains of the red team and the blue team.
1: And then we played Pictionary. <laughs> and then we
0: played Pictionary. So we perfectly got all 15 pairs, as well as three other couples. So it actually ended up really easy. It worked easy out perfectly, yes. That we had the four couples for captains. Anitra and I and our friends were the red team captains, and each of us got to go up and draw something. Anitra got four lines <laughs> into her drawing before I knew what it was, because we played board games together for 20 years. And yeah, we dominated. Red team wins.
1: I mean, I mean, usually right.
0: the green team wins, but there was no green team. So by default, the red team wins.
1: Red team won by one point. I would not call that dominating. I mean, but we it was dominated. Fun. I mean, it we won fun. by one point, but
0: also we answered all of the questions faster. Like, there's no <laughs> doubt. Like, the, the red team clearly was in control. It's like a game of football where one team is clearly in control, even though the score seems close. That's what happened.
1: The important thing is that we all had fun.
0: Oh my gosh, thank you, mom. But no, you're you're <laughs> right, you're right. We all had a really good time, and it was just a blast to kind of get everybody together and, and do a thing.
1: It was, yeah. it was a good time. Mm-hmm. So back to family games. We Fair. also played another game of Kazuka, you, me, and Asher.
0: Yeah, so this was really interesting. So Kazuka is this game with like implied deduction. And upon reflection, especially right after talking about our Valentine's Day dinner experience, <laughs> Like, you and I are just really on the same page with a lot of this stuff.
1: Uh, Yes, but also, I think anybody playing Kazooka at two players is going to have an easier time of it.
0: I mean, sure, you know, you're dealing with two variables instead of three, right?
1: Or more. You're trying to figure out, do we have enough red cards for this to work? Do we have enough yellow cards? Do we have enough blue cards? And I know last time we compared this to Liar's Dice. Yes. So it's got the opposite problem then of Liar's Dice since Kazuka is cooperative. In Liar's Dice, the more people who are around the table and the more dice that are in play, the more you can kind of fudge and be like, yeah, I'm sure there are at least four fours out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is the opposite. The more people who are out there, the more you really have to dial it in. You're like, oh man, he definitely showed with his clue that he's got at least two greens and and then he over there, he probably has one, but I I can't tell if he has more than one. So do we have five greens or six greens or maybe we only have like four? I don't know. I can't tell.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think some of the benefit here is that you and I are so frequently on the same wavelength, right? Because yeah. Asher's kind of learning what that
1: is. Sure. And he's
0: learning the flow of how... We silently communicate with each other, and so he would do things, and then after we're like,
1: why did you do that? Like,
0: what information are you attempting to convey? But I also think this is a very educational opportunity for him. I was really encouraged when we were done and we lost, and he was like, no, this was fun. Like that was the best part of the gaming experience was afterwards when he said, no, I enjoyed myself because I could totally see how he would be like, forget this. I'm done with this. This was frustrating. I don't want to play this again. I would totally understand that.
1: And the first round or two were frustrating, but he also got better at it Mm -hmm. across rounds to the point where he was like, okay, I can see more of how this works. I can see what we're going for. I think I understand it better now and I'm having fun with it.
0: Yeah. Which was great. Yeah. Another thing that we talked about after we recorded, when we talked about it the last time, was how Kazuka is really almost like the board game version of a roguelike. So roguelike is a type of video game style, a video game genre, I guess, where you play as you go and it's usually procedurally generated or whatever, but it's kind of expected that you're going to die. But when you start again, you've got a lot of the power-ups that you got from the last time you went through
1: this. You've got more power-ups, you've got more knowledge, Mm -hmm, you've got benefits to help you go a little bit farther the next time. Right.
0: And that's exactly what happens in Kazuka. So as you go along, as long as you don't fail your escape attempt, I mean, you don't escape, but you all decide to stop and you have enough of the things, you get these victory points or points or whatever, which you can use to upgrade basically your starting power, I'll say, because you don't change your starting position, but you're able to deal out more cards, which means that whatever that total number of whatever color it is can be higher. Yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this and you play video games and you like roguelikes, like if you've played the game Hades and you actually know what I'm talking about (laughs) and you like it. That mechanic, where as you play, you get more powerful and then you die and then you start over, but you're more powerful so you can go farther, Like that is kind of the core mechanic of Kazuka, along with this social, kind of collaborative, silent communication thing.
1: It's a clue-giving, deduction pairing, really. Yeah.
0: I mean, it reminds me a little bit of something like Magic Maze, yeah, with the way that bit. you're trying to be like... Go like you need to do a thing. Yeah. I can go over here, but you're not allowed to talk, right? So yeah. it's so interesting.
1: I also really appreciate in the Kazuka rule book, uh, as I was looking through it to make sure we did the setup correctly and everything. It pointed out near the end that it's supposed to be a zero communication game. All you can do is put your piece down, or if your you know special animal power lets you say a thing, you can say exactly that thing. But. Games are supposed to be fun. And they're like, you know what? Within your group, decide what level of communication is okay for you to play this game. It does not have to be a zero communication game.
0: I mean, like, look, if you walk into the next game night and you're like big swing and you're like, yo, we beat Kazooka. Like, okay, good for yeah. you. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the kind of game that you brag about winning.
1: But I appreciate them pointing that out in the sure. rule book. Like yeah. anything where the rule book is like, no, if you're not having fun then change it so you can have fun. <laughs>
0: right. Well, I mean, look, this is Pegasus Spiele, right? Like, they've been doing this for a while. They've they know what's on They've been doing this for a long up. time, yeah. Yeah, and they do a great job with their games. I mean, we've really enjoyed basically everything that we've played from Pegasus right? Just about, right? Yeah. Like, they do a really, really good job. Even if a game... Is not by their standards successful. It's still a good game. Yeah. So I can't say enough good things about Pegasus Spiele. I'm sure they've released some duds, but you know, we haven't had any of them.
1: We haven't seen any of them, <laughs> yeah. We also learned a new game this week.
0: We did. This game is great. This is the latest release from Blue Orange games. I don't think it's widely available yet, but we're gonna bring it with us to TantrumCon. Yes, we are. <laughs> and this game is Wonderwoods. So this is a 15-minute, eight plus two to five player
1: and it's about mushroom gathering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did not ever think, after seeing stuff like Morels, that I was ever going to enjoy a game about mushroom gathering.
0: I don't really like Morels. Like, it's fine. I, I don't right, know. Right, exactly. Just really kind of like,
1: uh, you know, the mechanics are fine and the theme is fine, and whatever. Wonder Woods doesn't have to be about mushroom gathering, but it works perfectly well as the theme. And this is a game that is Super quick to set up, easy to explain, and you're just off and running. It's got this combination of worker placement almost. It's not really resource management. It's more like a worker placement sort of idea. Very simple, combined with deduction because you don't know what the mushrooms are worth (laughs) as you're gathering them. Yeah,
0: so let's talk about kind of how this game works. So there are four different kinds of mushrooms in the game. And each of the mushrooms, there's a deck of 16 cards. Each of the mushrooms has a one, a three, a five, and a seven value card. At the very beginning of the game, you take the four cards for each mushroom type and you shuffle them face down and you slide one of them underneath the cards that are in the middle of the table that represent those mushrooms. Then you shuffle all of them together, all of the remaining 12 cards. Mm Mm-hmm. Then you deal them out to all of the players. We played at five people, so everybody got two, and two cards went in the box, and nobody ever saw what they were. Yeah. So you look at your two cards. They're going to give you a little bit of information about what the card value that's under the mushrooms isn't. (laughs) Yes. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Everybody starts with five baskets, and if you look at each of the mushroom cards, they have columns. It's, I think, one basket, two basket, three basket, four basket, four basket. That's it. And you have to fill up a column with your baskets. And then you can take a mushroom of that type and you just go around the table doing that until you can't fill any column or whatever. And remember, you have two or you know, more pieces of information in your hand about what these values aren't. You want the mushrooms that are worth the most value. But like it's possible that all of the mushrooms are worth one point each. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because the distribution is not generic. It's not like one of them is seven and one of them is five. and No, one of them it's, is, it's not every like that.
1: single one of them could be one or three or five or seven, but you've got some information in your hand, even at the beginning of the game. And then after the first round, everybody gets to decide if they want to reveal some of the information that they had. You're incentivized to do that because if you reveal some information from your hand, you'll get to grab an additional basket, which will make it easier to gather more mushrooms.
0: So you do this a couple of times. It's usually three rounds or so. The game ends when two of the different kinds of mushrooms have no mushroom tokens left. And then you just flip over the four scoring cards and everybody scores their mushrooms. And that's it. One thing that's really interesting about this game is that the swings, the scoring swings can be immense. Yeah.
1: Yes, this is the kind of game where the person who won can easily double or more the score of a lower player.
0: For example, let's say the three and the five come out as part of the revealing process for a given thing. And somebody has in their hand the one. So they know the seven Mm -hmm. is under there and they just start pouring resources into that. Well, if you're paying attention, you might notice that. And that might tell you like... This is probably something I want to try to get a little bit of or whatever. But that information... I mean, there's definitely luck in this game in terms of the cards that you have in your hand and the information that you have available. Oh, yeah. Right. And then the information you choose to share may or may not be wise, but it's still... There's a lot of chance in this game. Yeah. But that's okay. And even though our eight-year-old got absolutely demolished, like he didn't really care
1: all that much he was middle of the pack
0: on it well the scores were 48 32 32 32 and 24
1: and he was one of the 32s so he wasn't thrilled about it but you know what He didn't hate the game, which is all I was going for. (laughs) And again,
0: I mean, this took 15 minutes, and that included the teach, Yeah, right? So I wouldn't say this game is like the greatest thing since sliced bread or the best whatever. It's not even going to be the best game of the year or anything like that. But you know what it is? It's a quick game. You can sit down. You can play it. You can have fun. Everybody's going to have a good time. It's not complicated, so skill level isn't going to make you predisposed to demolishing everybody else. Like, it's a good time. It's less chance-based than, like, Strike or something like
1: that? Yeah, well, I was going to say, it's not, like, the world's best game, but it's really good at a couple of things. It's fast, it's easy to explain, and even though it's fast and easy to explain, there are a couple of different mechanics in play, and so there's some kind of balancing in your head of, what do I want to do next, and how is that going to set stuff up for the future? A lot of times, you don't see that in really fast-moving games, Mm -hmm. so I really liked that aspect of it.
0: Totally agree. A lot of fun. So we're going to be playing more of Wonder Woods yes, from we Blue are Orange for sure.
1: Got one more really fast game. Mm-hmm. We also showed Elliot, our youngest, Scribbly Gum. Yes. Man, I like this game.
0: It's a great game. It's and a great you game. are going to hear more about that game during the break. It is the Snap Review that yes. we just released. So first of all, head over to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Family Gamers AA or the Family Gamers, and watch the video for this one. It's very adorable. But also, you can just hear it in the break.
1: So yeah, go watch that video. But we'll be right back.
0: So in intro, in Australia moth larvae burrow below the outer bark of eucalyptus trees, leaving little squiggly trails.
1: What if you could do it too? Can you find the most food inside the Scribbly Gum tree bark? This is a
0: Snap Review for Scribbly Gum.
1: Scribbly Gum is a flip-and-write game for one or more, really any number, of players, ages six and up. It's designed by Phil Walker-Harding and published by his company, Joey Games. So,
0: Anitra, let's talk about the adorable art in Scribbly Gum.
1: Scribbly Gum was illustrated by Meredith Walker-Harding with an adorable Scribbly Gum larva. I, I can't believe I just said that. And cute little icons for the three kinds of food. You'll recognize Joey Games' design in their art across all of their titles. The only text in the game
0: is on the movement tiles and the achievements.
1: And even those are illustrated in a way that clearly shows the meaning of the words... So, no reading is actually required. So, Andrew, let's talk about how to play.
0: Sure. So, first, you're going to give each player a sheet off of this pad, or you're going to head to the Joey Games website to print one out for everyone. We'll include the link below. Just make sure that everyone is on the same side of the sheet.
1: Shuffle the eight movement tiles, put one back in the box, and then lay out the other seven face down in a row.
0: Start the first of three rounds by flipping over the first tile. These tiles give everyone a direction, up, down, left, right, dotted line, or a combination.
1: Every player draws a line starting from some filled-in circle on their pad to another circle in the direction given. Everyone gets four filled-in circles to start the game. When
0: you fill in a circle, fill in the corresponding symbol on the meal tracker on the right side of the board, starting at the top. Take note that some circles have multiple icons in them, so you fill out multiple circles in the meal tracker. Water droplets are wild.
1: Your goal in Scribbly Gum is to create full meals for your larva. Get a nut, a leaf, and a blossom to create a meal.
0: Once everyone finishes, flip the next tile and so on until all of the tiles are face up.
1: Then tally up your meal points and write that value in the circle for that round at the bottom.
0: Shuffle up the eight tiles and start again for round two. Your scores will be cumulative, so any meal you get in the first round, you'll be able to count three times.
1: If you're an advanced group, you can add in the achievement tiles. Those give you extra points for things like being the first player to have seven full meals, or being the first player to fill in all four corner spots. When you complete an achievement, add those points in the achievement area at the bottom, and flip those tiles over to show a lower point value that other players can still get for completing the achievement later.
0: Add everything up after three rounds for your final score. The highest score wins.
1: So, what did we expect from Scribbly Gum, Andrew?
0: Well, you can tell a lot from the box, the age range, and the focus of Joey Games. We knew this would be a game about Australia, about animals in Australia, and we knew that it would be at least in some way educational, and it could be played by lots of different age ranges.
1: That's a lot of stuff. It is a
0: lot of stuff. But we knew more. We knew that it was designed by Phil Walker-Harding, who makes incredible legendary games that are all somehow easy to understand.
1: That's true. Yeah. Basically, we expected it to be good.
0: Yep. But there were <laughs> surprises. That happens. What surprised us about Scribbly Gum?
1: The biggest surprise is that Scribbly Gum feels incredibly natural to play. You can sit down with a kid and still be playing in under a minute. We also love that the rulebook includes tips for how to play in classroom mode, with a teacher showing the movement tiles and everyone marking on their own sheets. Being able to print sheets right off the website is a fantastic way to scale this game easily for a whole classroom full of kids.
0: But did you also know that you can go on the website and use a digital tile
1: flipper too? (laughs) This is so easy for a classroom. We also saw Joey Games really double down on sustainability with this game. Everything in the rulebook shows just how thoughtful Phil and Meredith are, and they talk about how they're giving back on the last page of the rulebook.
0: That's a lot. (laughs) Do we recommend Scribbly Gum?
1: Scribbly Gum fits the theme so well, it's so simple, and it ticks so many boxes about (laughs) what good conscious game design is in 2023. We absolutely recommend this for the elementary school gamers in your life. Bonus points if they want to learn about Australia.
0: So, Anitra, I guess that means we're going to rate Scribbly Gum four and a half larva out of five.
1: (laughs) And that's Scribbly Gum
0: in a snap. And we're back. All right, so like we talked about at the top of the show, this half of the show is going to be driven by you. We have six questions from some show listeners that we very much appreciate. We're going to read the question, and we're going to talk about our answers to these. We might agree, we might not. I'm not really sure. We'll find out when we get there. But before we do that, I do want to take a moment to welcome the newest members to the Family Gamers community. We've got three people who have joined the community in the last week and a half or so, and it's time to say hi. So, welcome to Peter. Welcome to Victor, and welcome to Holly. We're so glad you joined us. I hope that you are enjoying both the community and the show, and that you're heading over to thefamilygamers.com, where there's over 500 reviews. I know that is insane. That is so crazy. That's crazy. Anyway. All right. Let's dive right in. Why not? Let's just get right I, into it. We okay. had a really long show last week, so I don't want this to be <laughs> a really long show. Right. So we're going to start it off with a question from Adam, who says, We get a family game gift each year for this family we know and love. They've got two bright kids, an 11-year-old girl and a 13-year-old boy, and their parents. As the 13-year-old gets older, he and his sister are diverging in interests. He's a D&D kid, Small World, Castle Panic, etc., And his little sister likes Tiny Towns, Dream House, etc. Mom and dad are kind of split like that, too.
1: (laughs) Any thoughts
0: of what you might get for four to six players?
1: Okay, my very first thought on this is Merchants of Magic.
0: Yes, I agree with this one.
1: Uh, Yeah, so Merchants of Magic has a theme that bridges the gap. Mm -hmm. You are running a cute little shop, and it's wonderful, but... You're creating magical items for adventurers in a D&D-like setting, and it leans pretty heavily into that, especially because you're also using all the different kinds of dice that you normally see in D&D.
0: Yeah, you use a D6, a D8, a D10, and a D12. Mm-hmm. So it really does feel like that. Although, I'm going to take a little bit of an exception to what you said. You said it is a cute game. I don't think Merchants of Magic is cute. Like On concept, at the highest possible level, you could... <laughs> Maybe because you're supposed to write the name of your shop, like you could maybe self-actualize it. You being can a make shop. it be
1: cute, but it doesn't I have guess. to be cute. Yes.
0: Yeah. But I'm going to make two other recommendations that I think would fit this really, really well. Okay. The first one is a game called Adventure Mart. So that one is cute. Yeah. It's super adorable. This is a game where you literally are running an Adventure Mart and you are selling items to adventurers. It's a little bit on the complex side, which I think might appeal to your 13-year-old here, but I think your 11-year-old is going to like this as well, because it's super cute. It's super fun. And the other game, and this is a game that's going to come up later in somebody else's question, is Flamecraft.
1: Yeah, I think it might be a little too cutesy for a 13-year-old boy, but it is certainly worth a shot. Flamecraft is gorgeous and wonderful, and we released a review for that last week, and you should check that out. Yeah, you totally should. Uh, I mean, I agree that it's cute,
0: but it's also dragons, and, like, a 13-year-old boy is rolling his eyes at dad puns while also making them. So, like, I think that there is definitely some thematic stuff beyond just the dragons that is going to bring a 13-year-old boy in. Okay, sure. Plus, the game feels blinged out, even the retail version, and it's yeah. just a pleasant gaming experience, Yeah, we didn't, so I think there's a lot there.
1: We didn't go into a ton of detail about this in our review, but... We have the retail version. We don't have any of the deluxe anything for this game, and it still feels really solid and wonderful and nice. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can get all of the fancy stuff, but you really don't need it to have a game that just feels satisfying
0: and good. Right. You do have one more recommendation for this question. I
1: do. I also feel like Quacks of Quedlinburg has that kind of heavy fantasy feel to the theme, but it's not a we're going to go fight stuff game. It's making your individual potions.
0: Yeah. And I think that with the bag drawing bag building piece, it has a lot of that tiny towns in it. So I think that, you know, mentioning Tiny Towns here, you know, there's definitely an analog in the way in which the game mechanics, the fundamental game mechanics progress Mm -hmm. in a game like Quacks of Quedlinburg, which is a game that we play from eight years old all the way to 40 years old. So, (laughs)
1: yeah,
0: Quacks is another great uh, recommendation.
1: That's funny. That leads very nicely into our next question. All right. Our next question is from Sean, and he asks... What's the best game with longevity for a family? That is, a game you started playing with your kids when they're really little and can still continue to play as they grow up. Within our community, where this question was asked, drop it and Karuba were immediately recommended.
0: And and while well, they should be, right? uh, well, they're they should both be. excellent options for this.
1: Drop It is my first choice on mm-hmm. this.
0: Yeah, totally. I totally agree. You know, one of the things I think that's really important about this question is that it has to be a game or games that are fun, but also simple.
1: Yeah, you're looking for simple mechanics and preferably... Little to no reading. Right. So literally anybody can play that.
0: So another option that had kind of come up along with some of these questions was a game like Karuba. Any of these games where there's a single flip and everybody responds to it is definitely something that you can play in a family context for a long period of time. And the reason why that is, is because at those youngest ages, you're modeling what you do as a response for those younger kids, right? And sure, so with sure. a game like Caruba where you're like, okay, we flipped this over. Okay, everybody has to place this tile on their map. Kids are going to see that and be like, okay, now I know what to do. And then as those kids get older, they don't need that guidance quite as much, but the game is still fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so they I can agree. Continue to play it. I went in the direction of games that we literally did play with our children, one or more of our children when they were quite young, mm. and we still enjoy and keep in our collections now. Mm-hmm. One of those is King Domino. Yes. Uh, now, which, we did
0: talk about how we've kind of replaced King Domino with King Domino one. Yeah, and we're
1: going to talk more about that later, I promise. Yep. But the base King Domino is playable by a five-year-old. Maybe not well, but they'll grow into it more right. as time goes on. Yeah, absolutely. But the same thing can also be said for Onitama, which has no required reading. Mm. Yeah,
0: I think mechanically, it's let Onitama me, is a little let me get more there. complex.
1: King Domino, Onitama, and Lanterns, the Harvest Festival. Okay. These are all a little bit of a stretch for a young kid, but entirely playable, even with a younger kid. All three of those, King Domino, Onitama, and Lanterns, are games that they'll grow into more over time. Sure. And if they start to feel a little stale, you can add on expansions as your whole family gets older.
0: A game like King Domino, I mentioned Origins, like... That's a game where you can play the more complex versions as you mm-hmm. age up yeah. You know, with the kids. Exactly. So that's certainly an option um, as
1: well. I will say that most dexterity games definitely fit the anybody can play them and anyone can enjoy them and you can keep enjoying them for years and years and years. What kind of dexterity game you want really depends on your family.
0: Yeah. I mean, for us, a dexterity game that works is a game like a Drop It.
1: Drop It has been a big one. And stacking games have worked well for our family. Whereas our kids
0: love beasts of balance, like way a lot.
1: But for us, like flicking games and stuff like that, they just don't stick around for us. Like we try them, that's fine, and then we move on to something else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But for other families, that could be the right way to go.
0: All right, our next question comes from Stephanie Cardoza. She asks, my oldest, Ten, is neurodiverse and can handle pretty advanced gameplay but does not have a long attention span. Uh She gets excited about games like My Little Scythe and Quacks of Quedlinburg but is then discouraged by the complicated setup or I lose her after the first 15 minutes. Because of this, we usually end up playing Uno. I'm sorry. (laughs) Can you recommend a game that has minimal setup and quick playtime but maybe a more involved mechanic? I'll go first on this one. My choice is actually last year's... SDJ winner, which is Scout from Oink Games.
1: Okay, I could see that.
0: Yeah, Scout is really good. It is a card game. It is fairly simple and straightforward. The mechanics are not mega simple, but once you understand how the game works, you can definitely comprehend it at a 10-year-old age level, but it does flow pretty quickly.
1: It's got a feeling similar to like an Uno while being more complex than Uno. Right. Which which is a good choice. And
0: I mean, we love those small box games, right?
1: (laughs) We do. I am going to come back here to King Domino Origins. Okay. In part, because this is a game that it's got pretty minimal setup, but as you play it over and over again, you can start saying like, oh, well, if you liked this, what if we add this one more thing? And that's another way to get into some deeper strategy with a kid whose attention span is just not there. A game that moves fast and starts really simple, and then you can add on to. I'd also recommend Zombie Kid's Evolution for something like this. Very simple. You get into it right away, but it can build over multiple plays, and you can get into more and more with it the more you play it.
0: Mm -hmm. Great options. You know, another game that we have been talking about recently is Quarto, which, I mean, the setup doesn't get any faster than a game like that, where you open the box and you put it on the table and you go. But that game really tightens up very, very quickly. And there's a lot of thinking and analysis, even though the gameplay is incredibly simple.
1: And it still stays short, because I know some other games that have almost no setup but can start to drag a little bit as they go on. Framework is an example of this. I love Framework and I love how fast it is to get started, but it's not a fast game.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's really a thing that's dependent on the players, right? If you have players that are prone to AP, you're going to run into that. But I think if you have players that are just going to make a decision and move on, it's not so bad.
1: I mean, yes, but just the way Framework is structured, it's going to probably go a little long for... Somebody who can't sit for quacks. Yes, oh, oh, sure. In this yeah. context,
0: I totally agree. In this context.
1: Yeah. But yeah, so I would definitely go with a game like that that is very kind of small, bite-sized to learn and then has options to add more on later so that you can start very simple and quick with it.
0: What do you think of a game like Draftosaurus?
1: Draftosaurus could be good. Mm-hmm. And you know what else? I was not thinking of this when we looked at the question the first time, but I just thought of it now. Panic Island. Sure. (laughs) Panic Island is literally a 60 second game and it's a memory game, which kids on the younger end tend to really like, (laughs) I think. And Panic Island, if you only play it once or twice, you'll still feel like you played something. But if she gets really into it, you can just keep playing over and over and over again with like, oh, we failed. Let's try again. Oh, we failed. Let's try again. Oh, hey, we won. Let's try a different setup.
0: I like it. All right. Lots of options there.
1: All right, so our next question is from JP of the Whose Turn Is It Anyway podcast. He says, can you recommend a game for four people stranded on a deserted island with no power and limited chance of rescue to try and stave off the thought of eating each other? Wow. All right. So first
0: (laughs) I started to read this question, I thought it was like trying to like paint the picture of Forbidden Island or something (laughs) like that. You know what I mean? I thought it was like, can you recommend a game that happened to be by a guy who also made a game? You know what I mean? Like I thought it was going to be one of those, but in all seriousness, slash, also joking i do have an answer for him i don't think it's quite what he's looking for but my answer is cinco linko so here's the deal with cinco linko the pieces are all plastic you can play this game literally anywhere if you're on a deserted island you probably have some beaches there might be some wet places but the game is plastic i mean if it's a deserted island you're going to want to cover up there's not going to be like a cabin or anything so you're going to want to play something that you can keep outside you don't want it to get damaged it's your game Yes. I mean, how many people freak out about a crease these days? But anyway, that's a different thing. Also, and this possibly is the most important point. I don't even know. The pieces kind of look like candy. So as you start (laughs) going insane and you start to have visions, you'll be tempted to eat the pieces before you're tempted to eat your friends. And then you'll choke on the pieces and your friends will survive. Congratulations. Cinco (laughs) Lingo is the game for you.
1: Okay, I will give a somewhat more serious answer to this ridiculous question. (laughs) Not a food-themed game, because a food-themed game will just get you thinking about food, and then you will not be able to ignore the fact that you are starving.
0: I'm hungry now. (laughs) But what's your game?
1: So my game is Seven Wonders. You will be able to play this card game over and over and over again, and try different things each time. I mean, that's something that gets talked about a lot in games is replayability. And a lot of times it doesn't matter unless you're playing it with a kid who's going to latch on and want to play the same thing 100 <coughs> a <journey>. hundred uh, times. <coughs> I'm
0: sorry. I um, had a thing in my yeah, throat. I,
1: yeah. But I think one of the reasons why Seven Wonders is still somewhat popular is because it really has a lot of that diverse strategy, not just like, oh, new cards came up, but... There are so many different ways to get the points and win the game. I like it. Speaking of a deserted island and games in that uh, vein, I really love it. A friend of ours told us the other day that she has a new way to think about all of the Matt Leacock Forbidden games. Okay. You're playing as the mole rats that end up in Mole Rats in Space, or whatever that game is called now. hmm <laughs> So you escape the island as your little mole rats and then crash the helicopter in the desert. When you're in the desert, you dig up the ship and fly the rocket from the sky islands to the snake infested space station, which you then also need to escape.
0: I mean, sure. <laughs> and then you end up in the jungle, I guess. That's the new thing. I mean,
1: I guess that maybe from the space station, you then crash land in the jungle. I. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. If
1: you ever wanted to just string them all together end to end, I think that might be how you do it.
0: Sure. Let's. Okay. <laughs> sure. All right.
1: No, you don't like it.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I I don't feel like I need it. I guess is where I'm at like sure. it's fine I'm okay with it right they're all good games but anyway our fifth question from Mark Thompson my girls 12 and seven adore Flamecraft. we just talked about Woo-hoo. flamecraft great game and would love to try something with a bit more story slash campaign with them in a lighter fantasy world most seem a bit dark so I was thinking more Final Fantasy Zelda esque got Hogwarts Battle Core Quest and my city on my short list but maybe some other recommendations. We have recommendations. huh? Do we? So I have, I don't know, a couple different ones. So if you're looking for something that's really an RPG, there's a couple of RPGs that are really focused towards kids, which I think would be good options here. One of them is Monty Cook's No Thank You Evil. That's a really popular one. Or I think it's Atlas Games published Magical Kitty Save the Day, which is an RPG where you're magical kitty saving the day. So obviously that's going to be pretty cute and silly and hopefully will appeal to those little girls in your life
1: you know what else atlas games publishes what's that they publish robit riddle
0: ah yes this is an
1: awesome storytelling role-playing game that is very much intended for families with children Mm.
0: yeah something like this would work or something kind of along the same vein would be like stuffed fables which was a game that a lot of people really really like it didn't work for our family for some reason, but a lot of people really enjoy Stuffed Fables. So that's definitely another option. That would be more of kind of like a guided adventure than an RPG where somebody has to serve as like that kind of dungeon master, game master kind of a role.
1: Yeah, uh, Stuffed Fables and then also Robot Riddle don't need a dungeon master Mm -hmm. at all.
0: Anitra did make a good point while we were talking about this before the show. My City doesn't have a story really. Like it's kind of this vague thing. Uh, So if you're looking for a narrative Piece to this like that's not the best option like i love that game and we talked about you know the karuba style game where yeah. you flip something and everybody did it. like yeah. i love it our kids don't like i have been thinking about just being like hey Anitra, do you want to just play this just the two of us and you know forget about the kids like i'm fine with that yeah. um i don't know probably I think if we make that decision you know we're gonna to stick to it but i definitely want to get through the rest of that game
1: it's but, an enjoyable game yeah. but there's not a story there there is a campaign, it is a legacy game with real progression towards an end, but the story is like, oh, well, now you've moved to an area that has, you know, a waterfall or like whatever. It It's just like, now you need to build your city with some different dynamics to it. Okay, sure. Yeah,
0: I, I feel like for us that works well, but I just don't think...
1: It's uh, not a story. It's a kid thing, It, right? it is not a story. Yeah.
0: Like, we don't understand why our kids couldn't glom onto stuff Fables, but I do understand why they're not super crazy about my city, yeah. even though I do think it's an excellent game. So I would say probably that one is eh, maybe a pass if it's really the story that you think is going to get them going.
1: But he also mentions Hogwarts Battle and Core Quest on his shortlist list. I think those are pretty good. Hogwarts Battle or the slightly more, I guess, juvenile Toy Story Obstacles and Adventures. These both have the same deck building mechanics and a lot of the same other issues as well, but the Toy Story setting is more geared for younger kids than the Hogwarts setting, obviously. They definitely carry you through a familiar story. You know, either the story of the Harry Potter books slash movies or the story of The Toy Story movies. So these can be a really good choice. It does get a little frustrating to have to kind of lose most of what you've gained after every play because it's a deck building game. And so they're like, okay, well, now you're going to move on to the next box, which sort of resets you. You have some better stuff now, but all of the good stuff that you got last game, you don't have any of that.
0: Yeah. These were other games that our kids were just kind of like, you know what? I just... No, thanks. I'd rather play a video game where I get to keep my stuff.
1: Yeah, Already mentioned, no thank you, Evil Magical Kitty Save the day, Robert Riddle. Core Quest is a great light, family-friendly RPG with a guided story.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, it's excellent. I think there's some expansion material coming out for that as well. If you want to try something without committing to a box, 40-whatever-dollar box, you can head over to Drive-Thru RPG and look at something like Hero Kids. This is a uh, rpg that you can literally purchase for like 10 15 yeah. print out a bunch of stuff and then play it pretty quickly
1: it is inexpensive it is very much a traditional rpg that is stripped down and ready to run a game for your kids mm-hmm.
0: so lots of options there all right any do you want to read our last question
1: yes Another Stephanie. (laughs) All right. Stephanie Nye. Stephanie Nye says, Our seven-year-old loves games where she solves mysteries and puzzles. Our recent hits have been Unlock Kids, Micro Macro, Junior Detective, and Kids Chronicles Quest for the Moonstones. She is a very strong reader.
0: What would some good next games be? So before we get into other titles, I do want to let you know that there is some more content coming for Kids Chronicles. So keep an eye out for that. You'll be able to play that.
1: More quests for more Moonstones. No, that's not what it's called. But It's not. But it is on the way, and our kids are super excited for it. Yep.
0: All right. Some actual titles. The newest Zombie Kids game is unlike the older ones, which are legacy campaign games. It's called Zombie Kids Flashback. We've talked about it a little bit. It definitely has some mystery solving and some deduction to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another game that I immediately thought of when thinking about some of these examples that you provided is a game that we reviewed a couple of years ago now from Foxtrot Games called Spy Club. I don't know how hard this game is to get now. I'll have to take a look at that while Anita's talking about some of her ideas. But Spy Club is a really Interesting game where you're trying to over the course of a series of plays, almost deduce in like an Encyclopedia Brown kind of way who has performed this crime, and it's a really interesting set collection mechanic to kind of like programmatically determine who the
1: criminal. Yeah, is. you're. It's kind of procedurally generated. Yeah, it's super, who, smart. Who, super smart. Who, what, where, when, mm-hmm. sort of thing. I think that is probably beyond even a really smart seven-year-old. Yeah, it but is, I mean, we're talking about like the game. games to to go yes. along,
0: right? So
1: I think there are some great exit boxes that are appropriate for younger kids. In particular, the Enchanted Forest and the House of Riddles would be great to do with a younger kid. They are not super scary. They lean on some things that will be more familiar at a family weight level. I also personally... Highly recommend the Clever Kids Mysteries.
0: Oh, they're so good.
1: Which you Mm -hmm. must buy directly from the guy who makes them. At this point, most of them are print and plays, but that is mostly a good thing because it means you spend your 11 or 12 bucks and you print it out and have it right away.
0: (laughs) Just to follow up, Spy Club, not available at retail in most places, but you can get it on the geek market on BGG for 20 bucks. So it's definitely something that you could pick up if you wanted to. Some other games that are great for this kind of mystery solving thing, the Key series from Haba, we've talked about these. There's a couple of different ones that have slightly different difficulty levels to them. And I think there's nine mysteries in each box or nine kind of puzzles. there's
1: nine keys. Yeah. So there's nine puzzles. But by the time you've run through all nine, (laughs) you could start over again. These are eminently replayable.
0: Yeah, they're really good. Like, I really, really recommend the key games a lot. And you really would uh, do well to pick one of these up. I think you'd really enjoy them.
1: Yeah. If you want something that has a more fun theme than the key
0: (laughs) i think the key games are perfectly i i I think they
1: i think they are fine but if you want something that's less about solving a crime and more about a more friendly sort of mystery Mm -hmm. then we really like the grim masquerade or dinosaur tea party because
0: dinosaur tea party is so good
1: because then you're solving a mystery based on what the other players in the game reveal to you yes yes which is pretty great
0: Mm mm-hmm Kind of like that Wonder Woods game.
1: Yes, actually.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dinosaur Tea Party is a wonderful game. It's multiplayer. Guess who, basically? It's like up to four players. The illustrations in that game just oh, cannot they're be so beat. They're good. Absolutely fantastic. Excellent, excellent yes, stuff.
1: Yes. However, the illustrations in the Grim Masquerade are also fantastic.
0: Yeah, but they're fantastic, just like really good. Like the Dinosaur Tea Party ones are really good and also really funny. Uh,
1: they are also funny. Yeah. That's true. So. We recommend both of those, Grim Masquerade and Dinosaur Tea Party, if you want that guess-who push on the other players to see what they're trying to hide sort of mm. sort of thing. Hey, this has been really fun. We should do this more often. We totally <laughs> I should. I like yeah, this. Yeah, this was
0: a lot of fun. I hope that especially these six people <laughs> got answers to their questions. Try not to choke on those Cinco Linko pieces, <laughs> JP. Yes, please. But, uh, <laughs> no, we really enjoy this. You know, we talk a lot about having these conversations, these back and forth with the community, and we really do treasure it. It's Honestly, it, in some ways, is what keeps us going.
1: <laughs> it, is, it is one of the best parts, other than, you know, like making Valentines and things like that. Yeah, you
0: really love the Valentines
1: thing. I it's really, fine. really like yeah, making the Valentines. It's all, good. it's all good. But listen, I don't
0: want, you know, the end of episode 332 to be the end of people reaching out to the family gamers. So, Anitra, where can people go to uh, send us messages
1: yes please ask us more questions Mm -hmm. and we are always happy to read them on the air if you're okay with that Mm -hmm. find us on facebook and twitter and instagram and tiktok and youtube and youtube at family gamers aa
0: you can always email us if you have a question that you'd like us to answer privately we're more than happy to do that you can email me andrew at thefamilygamers.com
1: Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Please come join our Facebook community and ask questions there. Then you can get answers from more than just the two of us. You can get answers from a whole community full of adults who like to play games with children.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. The general chat in the family gamers community is a great place to go to kind of just share what you're doing, working on, whatever. People that are in there are getting dings when (laughs) you send messages. So you'll get a response fairly quickly, most
1: likely. Yep.
0: so um, there's a lot of really good stuff going on in the community. It is over 600 people.
1: Mm-hmm. Show your family gamers love by buying a t-shirt. I'm I mean, just going to say it straight up. It's pretty
0: direct, right?
1: <laughs> yes. Or, or a hoodie. It is still cold in some parts of the country, including here.
0: Including here. Yep. You can find those things, mugs, more at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch.
1: Please subscribe to this podcast if you like it. Please tell your friends about the podcast whether you like it or not. Just tell people yes. like the Family Gamers podcast is something you should listen to and tell strangers by leaving us a review at Apple Podcast or wherever it is that you subscribe.
0: So, I'm looking on Apple Podcast right now and the last written review that we got was a year ago.
1: A year and a half ago. It was summer of 2021. Come on, guys. Come on, please. And girls, and if you can't bring yourself to <laughs> to review us, then you know another five star rating would be great. Five star, five star, five star, <laughs> as the gameschooler podcast says. That's five star, five so star, funny. five star. All
0: right. Anyway, you can also find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, or just ask your smart device to play the Family Gamers podcast. All right, it's
1: time. Send us
0: weird foods for science. Send them to the Family Gamers, sixty Auburn Street, number five twenty eight. Auburn, Mass. 01501.
1: Andrew will definitely eat them. I will probably eat them. And we will talk about it on the air. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I am going to buy one of those the hottest chips in the world at some point. Yeah. They're like 20 bucks. Though. Do like it's a little...
1: video for that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I
0: could. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, anyway. That'd be good. Whatever. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points.
1: Thanks so much to First Move for sponsoring this episode of the podcast, and thank you for listening all the way to the end.
0: All the way to the end. So when you hear this, we'll have come home, but we're excited to go to Tantrum Con, and we're going to talk about it next week. So until then, everybody, play Play games games with with your kids.